0: This show is brought to you by the Human Resource Executive Magazine's HR Technology Conference and Exposition, held October 1st to 4th at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Join me and thousands of your colleagues at the world's largest exhibition of HR technology. Act now using the code HREX and you can receive a $300 discount on your ticket. Thanks. We'll see you there. And by the way, don't miss the Women in Technology segment. Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiners Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumser, and today we're going to be talking with Tracy Parsons. Um, if you don't know about Tracy, Tracy, you you might be able to accuse her of being the energy behind the transformation of recruiting over the past 20 years. She's been at every interesting junction and at every interesting company as recruiting evolved from a mostly posting process to today's world where we spend a lot of time talking about candidate experience and um, embedding chatbots and AI in the process. So Tracy, how are you this morning?
1: I'm feeling great. I mean, this is a great day. Friday before a long weekend. I'm never going to complain about that.
0: <laughs> Take a moment and introduce yourself. Tell tell the truth about about the uh, the last 20 years or so.
1: Well, here thats you you used the, the pivotal word John truth. Um, I think I was first of all, I've been told by everybody that knew me as a child that I was born a rabble-rouser. So it's no surprise that that as I found my way in this, in this industry over the last 20 blah, blah, blah years, um, that that's what I've been doing. You know, I, really, I really think that I was put on this earth to change the way people find their dream jobs and how companies find A players because I've not met anybody on either side of this equation who thinks that it's working. So you know, in the 90s, I worked for TMP and Monster. Um, in the 90s, I wrote my first website, like 1995, um, placed the first jobs-related banner ad on the internet, um, ran a MySpace campaign for a customer in 2005. So when you say, like, you know, at each of those pivotal junctions, I was, I was there, pushing, 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 and, um, you know, I got here because, well, frankly, I'm pushy, and uh, I just want things to change. Like, we have to fix this. This is not a good experience for anybody. Um, so I started this company back in 2008, took some time off to work with a great software company for a few years, and, and now I'm back at it.
0: So, so let's, what, what does your company do? What do you do?
1: Well, we're first and foremost a consultancy, and I get a lot of questions. Oh, are you an agency? We are not an agency. Um, we are simply a consultancy, and we work with um, some fantastic companies to help them not only understand, here comes buzzwords, are you ready? To understand how they're doing in the candidate experience, uh, where their gaps are, hell, how to even back up and define it. Um, Look at their problems from inside and outside And then try to fix them and try to fix them in ways that are not like, oh, my God, that's never going to be achieved, but in ways that are actually like, okay, if you did this one thing, if you just fix the way that you did this function right here in this little gap, um, you could see a nice return on this. Um, But we also do a lot of strategy work in employer brand and recruitment marketing. Um, That's been my background for 20-plus years And then we have a couple customers who just have outsourced their recruitment marketing efforts completely to us. So we run, we run the recruitment marketing, their strategy and execute their um, strategy and campaign form.
0: So you said something at the top that that I want to come back to. You said, nobody's happy with how this is working. Recruiting has like a 50% failure rate. Why do you think it's so broken?
1: (laughs) Well, I think that, I think that a couple, I think a lot of things, um, I I saw some statistics over the last couple of years that uh, 90 percent of people, according to LinkedIn, are open to a job. Right. So that's essentially everybody. I mean, if we're if we're, you know, rounding up, that's the universe. And three quarters are disengaged or I'm sorry, two thirds are disengaged at their job, according to Gallup. But Jive told us a couple of years ago that 20 percent of people would rather wait in line at the DMV all day than apply for a job. So they're open, they're not thrilled with what they're currently doing, but they just simply can't even with what we've created. And we've created these things to appease hiring managers and the companies. And I look at, like, even I looked at, I had a conversation this week with a customer about what I've been calling employer bland. Um, we keep telling people that we're innovative and we're team-focused and we're customer-first. And we don't tell them what that actually means. And we really, when you think about the, the journey, again, buzzword, sorry, but when you think about how a candidate flows through um, what we give to them, we basically open the floodgates to tell everybody how amazing we are. And then they get excited, but we don't tell them the truth. Right. We don't tell them the good, the bad, the ugly. We just tell them the Yay, sprinkles and glitter. And then, by the way, if you really want to get through here, you're going to have to sit through this horrifying application process. And then we might call you back. And all that branding that we've done up front immediately stops after we get you in. Like, it's just we cannot we cannot continue to do this. Like it, it ends up with those failure rates that you're talking about, John, because we set the expectation in one spot. We get them through this bad experience. And then we get them in, and it's not what we were sold. It's not what the candidates were sold. Um, And there's just a myriad of problems that I see in how we just constantly try to campaign problems away, um, as opposed to really addressing the problem.
0: That's interesting. So you think, if if I were to cut to the chase on what you said, you think the problem has to do with the fact that recruiting drops the ball at the moment that somebody gets hired?
1: Well, I do believe that not because their, their job is over. Like if you look at – I was laughing the other day. I was looking at – you know, everybody keeps talking about the recruitment funnel, and, and the funnel literally ends at hire. Like there's a little arrow that says hire. That's the end of the funnel. And it assumes that people die when they're hired. Like nobody dies when they're hired. What are we doing to keep them engaged in the workforce, what are we doing to make sure that they are, you know, that they're equipped with the information that they need to start on day one, that we are running, you know, I, I've been talking about, you know, talent experience versus candidate experience, because that's one side of the equation. Then there's the employee experience, which also is not really dialed. So we have to start looking this as a holistic person, like pre-hire to post-retire.
0: So how do you do that? How do you do 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 that? Because because from what I can tell, there's nobody in the recruiting world who is raising their hand and saying, "I want to do work after they're hired," right? And (laughs) and so so so, so it it um, it ends up being the recruiting department blaming the rest of the organization, and and people already people already don't like the recruiters, so so that's not really an interesting solution.
1: So, John, what you're getting to is what I think the crux of the problem is. There are handoffs that don't happen because most of the big enterprise companies, I mean, they have internal comms. Um, So how are we handing that off, right? How are we handing off this candidate experience to the employee experience? Because you're right. After the hire, I got to move on to the next hire. Ain't nobody got time for that is what this ends up being. And what the real problem is, you know, when you talk about the failure rate is that it turns into all of this finger pointing. I mean, if you think about how unique recruiting is as an existing and function, like marketing, we make the sale, right? You make the sale in marketing, you, you get the information out there, sales makes the sale, then it's up to, um, our customer success teams or our our customer support teams to continue to, so manage that relationship. But there is some level of marketing to existing customers that happens. Right. So we've, we've got to figure out how to hand this off more eleg- elegantly and stop pointing fingers at each other. Cause that's obviously not working either.
0: Well, but, but when you don't point fingers at each other, you take responsibility. So, so I'm waiting for somebody any anywhere that, well, no, taking resp- taking responsibility is kind of easy, um, and being responsible is kind of easy. Waiting for somebody to insist that you do it is hard, um, and so so They're I'm not. waiting for the recruiting department that goes, "Oh, our work couldn't possibly be over when we hired. We just birthed we just birthed this new employee, and we've got responsibility for the new employee for some amount of time until they are." up and running and fully productive for instance and it's
1: it's um, really interesting because yeah you're right you're right one of my customers is actually working on that um if you're unfamiliar with the work that's going on at children's mercy in kansas city with molly weaver um just pay attention to what they're doing i i really we went in and did a complete talent experience redesign for them and they're in the process of implementing a lot of pieces of those recommendations and a lot of it is about okay we've We've got them. We hired them. Hey, let's look at how we're onboarding people. Hey, let's look at that first week. Hey, let's look at how our hiring managers are going to behave after the fact, and what are we doing about review cycles? And how are we, um, how are we, uh, promoting and elevating people internally so that they continue to be advocates for, for the hospital? So I think that there are a few early adopters out there who are really thinking about the long tail of this, because you and I know full well that turning people over is. Horrifyingly expensive, and it does nothing but just you know double and triple recloads.
0: Well, it's really interesting. So you know, in I spent I spent some time in Japan looking at recruiting in Japan, and attrition in Japan is three percent a year. As the result of attrition being three percent a year, um, the total cost of the HR department is like a third of what it is in the, in the States, because what drives the cost of HR is uh, attrition rates in churn. Um, and so, yeah. so, so you'd be tempted to think that, that uh, that people would go, Oh, right. We're causing that problem. Recruiting is yeah. causing the attrition problem. I mean, I mean, that should be a bumper sticker. Recruiting causes attrition. Um, um, and and I don't and, know. And,
1: hmm? I'm a, just, I do not know about that. I wouldn't. I, again, I don't think this is. I don't think this is black and white. I think there's a lot of gray uh, in that. Um, but recruiting could help cause less re- attrition. Um, I think, I there is nobody
0: hoping- in the organization who is better positioned to identify what actual quality means in the organization and measure it. Right. And they just Correct. have to st- they just have to stand up and take responsibility for it. But but what? without that idea of why do hiring managers let these people go, which is a quality problem with recruiting. So it's just like follow up from any other function. You bought our product yep. and now we want to know why you're not happy with it at month 10. Right, and yeah. and so and so so it is recruiting's job, I think, to understand why their work fails, uh, and to document yeah, and it, there, it, to measure it. There's a big it.
1: opportunity there. Yeah, yep. there's a huge opportunity there.
0: So, do you use AI in your work?
1: You know, I'm um, a little. Um, I, I go speak at a few conferences a year, so I use voice recognition uh, to do some scripting on my speeches. And uh, recently, I just uh, posted a a uh, research piece that was pretty well received on six of the players in the chat bot market. And I had a lot of fun doing that, like just watching everybody's demos and, and seeing what was out there because I, um, I really got to spend time trying to trick the robots, which was fun for me. And uh, some of them are very, very smart and others are pretty darn easy to trick. Um, but I'm a huge, huge believer in AI And machine learning. I think that that is our future. And I think that there are so many things um, that we can have the robots doing that we're either terrible at or don't want to do, right? You were just talking about that, like, hey, we have this failure rate. Um, Why are we having that failure rate? What do we keep doing over and over again? And let's unleash some machine learning on that. Like, let's let's talk about how um, robots could be doing dispositions because we're really, really terrible at that. I mean, we don't do it. Uh, elegantly, most times, because frankly, that's the worst part of the job is telling somebody that they were not hired. Um, and honestly, like the re- robot could send that message, and they could also like overlay some machine learning to tell the candidate who wasn't selected, like how they stacked up against the people who were. Like I think there's an opportunity for us to start building a little bit more um, relationship-based communications using our robots. And then, like let's be honest. Um, when I do an exit interview, I am not going to tell Karen and HR uh, what really went wrong, like what really went downhill for me and the culture or my manager. But I'm probably more likely to tell, tell a robot because that, that machine's not going to, like, judge me or push back. It's just going to gather that information. So I think that, you know, while I don't use it um, exclusively other than voice recognition, um, I see it has tremendous potential in our space to offload the things that we just stink at.
0: So one of the things that I've been wondering about with with the whole chatbot thing, one of something that's really worth understanding is is in our research, what we're seeing is that today, and, and I imagine this will get better over time, but today, for every new um, chatbot startup project somewhere, there's a failure. <laughs> there's a failure, right? Yeah. So the so, so the failure rate, the historical failure rate is near a hundred percent but over time it's inching down chatbots don't chatbots are a bigger deal than the vendors make them out to be the interesting question though is is recruiting recruiting is this this sort of buccaneering silo inside of the HR department and HR is deploying conversational interfaces with a lot of different parts of the of the system. And you, you have this problem emerging that the conversation that you can have with the recruiting interface is different than the conversation that you can have with the payroll interface. It's different than the conversation you have with the benefits interface. It's different than the conversation you have with all the rest of the HR policy interfaces At, on things as simple as, the words and phrases that the conversational interface is able to recognize. And so, so it's pretty clear that HR is going to have to move into having single databases at some level so that you don't have employees puzzled by the fact that they can ask a question in a certain way to the payroll system, but they can't ask it in the same way to the recruiting system. And so my view is that is that the the longevity of recruiting as a discrete siloed function is short because data is going to force it to become a team player rather than an isolated function what do you think
1: yeah and it, it, i i completely agree and one of the things that i found in doing this research is when you're looking for these tools you know look across your organization like why do we have a different system for payroll? Why do we have a system on our careers website? Um, and then on our corporate website, like they're all different and they all have different um, levels of strength in the natural language processing area. And that's what I really wanted to look at. Like, who can I, who can I have a conversation with that makes it feel like it's a person versus like when you'll, you'll have a conversation with some of the some of the chatbots out there and it's like, okay, select one, two, three, or four. And if you put the words that associate with that, whatever four is, if you type like Monday, um, it's like, I don't understand your answer, but the really good ones will, you know, understand that natural language processing. But I don't like this siloed approach to buying anything. Like that's one of the things that we keep getting wrong. And one of the things that actually we're solving as a, as a side offering, um, I'm, one of my partners is an amazing uh, technologist, so his ability to tie systems together um, has been really, really powerful for our customers. But stop buying things in silos. Like, that's just – it's a waste. It's a huge waste.
0: Well, it, it may be a waste, but, but there are no observable providers who cover it all well. And there, there's, the, you know, there's the, the classic sweet versus best of breed sort of conversation here which is mm-hmm. which is something that's really good at doing recruiting may not be that good at doing um uh, payroll and and what you want is consistency at certain levels of the interaction it's just like having a standard interface anywhere else having a conversational interface that can tolerate the same level of um interrogation is is where we're headed and right now I I'm aware of companies that have 50 different chatbots running inside of the HR department. Oh my. 50. Um 50. Oh, oh wow. Well, well, you know, there's a bunch of different components of sourcing, so you can have <clears throat> you can have um you can have 4 or 5 just in the sourcing model before you get to but
1: 50 is intense.
0: Well, but 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 but, but but, you know, this is this is HR and, and a decent sized HR department probably has 300 different pieces of software that that it uses yeah. to do its job. And so 50 might be intense, but 50 isn't anything like the total problem. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Right. So I don't think fifty's the I don't think 50 is the ceiling. Um, OK. And, and that means that there are going to be companies born that integrate all of that stuff. They just aren't exactly. here yet. Because that question of how do you tie all of the HR systems together into a single conversational interface um, while keeping the people in the silos happy with the results, that's a super challenging technical question. Um, yeah. so, so what are the big questions you're trying to answer?
1: Well, I think the you know I, the thing that I wake up thinking about every day is how are we still struggling to treat like candidates like people, while we still wonder where all the good people are. Like there's this dichotomy that I will I will sit there with a TA leader, a recruiting leader, and sometimes a, a C suite leader, and they're like yeah man, we just can't seem to find any good people. And then I look at them, I was like, well have you looked at what it's like to to apply to work here, like. Nobody's doing this because you treat them like garbage. Um, and I was, I was blown away because you, there's not a day that goes by that you don't read some sort of insane blog post about, you know, hey, candidate, behave this way. Hey, candidate, behave that way. Um, and I'm starting to write a series on, hey, employer, you should think about these things, too. Um, you know, think about things like if you're telling me as a candidate to be on time for an interview, you should be on time for an interview. And, um, you know, why why are we still struggling to treat candidates like people that we want to work for us?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Sure, sure. it makes all the sense in the world. Um, um, So tell me some of the things you do to solve
1: that. Well, um, one of them is like when we're going through all of this candidate experience design and employer brand stuff, um, I've determined that we've put every Um, All of the friction points, because, again, this should not be a frictionless experience. Um, It should not be like buying um, um, a a bunch of bananas at the grocery store or ordering something on Amazon. It should not be like that, Um, because it's not like toothpaste. You can switch brands, right? Toothpaste, you can switch brands, and if you don't like it, you can toss it out and go get another one. Um, So there's got to be some level of friction in the transaction of hiring somebody, or getting a new job. My problem is that we have put all the friction points in all the wrong spots. Um, there is zero friction up front in the in the education phase, which needs to have a boatload more friction. Um, we are doing nothing to screen people in and out before they even get to the ATS. And then we've decided to put all of our friction – in the ATS and in the interview and the offer. That's not where the friction goes, not where all the friction goes. Um, so what we're trying to do with our customers is help them completely rethink that experience. So some of my customers have focused on updating their career sites to be more screen in and screen out. And when they talk about their employer brand. It's not all sunshine and roses, but it's not doom and gloom either. It's somewhere in the real middle, right? This is what you're actually going to do at this company for us. And here's the good parts and here's the tough parts. And if this sounds like something that you can accept, Lord help us. We want to talk to you. Um, And then streamlining that application. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to a customer that says, why do you need somebody's social security number at that point? You don't. You need it when they get to the, to the um, background check. So collect it then. Like they're already invested. So there's, there's all of those things that we're trying to really put the friction in the right spots to impact that ultimate downstream um, experience of hiring somebody to get them to stay and stick.
0: Cool. So, what do you think the ethical issues are in this world that you're operating in?
1: Well, that's that's the big one. Like going back to how (laughs) we treat talent. um, All I see these days is just some serious bait and switch. Um, You know, hey, sunshine and roses. And let's be honest, people know that they're going to work. Like you, literally, they know that you you're going to have to pay them to show up. So they know that it's going to be hard. But here's the problem. We keep over-promising, over-messaging, trying to message our way out of, like, bad glass door reviews instead of really fixing the problem. And one time I, um, I actually had a perfect candidate experience, John, one time. It was perfect. Like, they were on all the best places to work lists, and they were on all the places that I wanted to see. And I talked to customers, and I talked to people who worked there, and everything was adding up. And the interview and the application, everything was simple. It, the friction was where the friction needed to be. And I got there. They onboarded me like, like a champ, and I quit nine months later. Why? They bait and switched me. The employee experience was not what they were selling. So the, the sad thing about this, and why I think this is totally unethical, when we put out there – something that we believe you know we believe is going to attract people and get them in and it's not true but then we force them to sit stay for at least 2 years or we're going to label you a job hopper it's not ethical yep. like yeah. <laughs> you have to tell them the real story That's you have great. to tell them the real story right and if you don't tell them the real story by god you better stick around for two years or me and my peers are going to call you a job hopper and we're not going to let you into the next thing
0: it's me wow that's awesome that's (laughs) awesome thank you for bringing up something that i've been asking this question for a year now and nobody has come close to oh yeah this whole thing about telling the truth (laughs) So so thank thank you for that
1: well, as, I, as I've been told frequently, what I'm, and I, I believe what I'm saying is not rocket science, but somebody was like, you know what, Tracy, common sense is not necessarily common practice.
0: Yeah. So what makes your company different? We're, we're, we're cruising up to the end here. What makes your company different?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I really think that the key differentiator for us um, is that we come to the table as voice of the candidate. Right, And so we're coming at this from a completely different angle. And we always talk about like, how we treat our candidates, but we don't really talk to our candidates. Um, you'll see a lot of messaging out there that obviously nobody talks to the employees or the candidates. Um, so we're trying to come at this from a slightly different angle. And we have some pretty badass tech that we're developing uh, around internal mobility and um, candidate experience and talent experience indexing. Um, but the cool thing is, is that unlike most tech companies, we are a services first, software second. Like if you go to work at a SaaS company, it's it's software first and services, no thank you. Um, so we are voice of the candidate at our core. Um, and we want to bring, you know, some great technology that supports the candidate, that makes them feel heard. Um, and that makes that, you know, that really brings that to light. I think we started developing uh, and selling Uh, talent personas on our website earlier this year and you know you simply go in and you want to hire a salesperson Um, you download a persona and it's all filled out and you understand what makes that salesperson tick
0: awesome awesome so thanks for taking the time to do this um um, why don't you take a moment and reintroduce yourself tell people how to get a hold of you
1: yeah uh, my name is Tracy Parsons, and I work for Parsons Strategic Consulting. My Twitter handle is at T Parsons. Couldn't be more clear about that. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, blonde hair, red sweater, uh, Tracy Parsons. And then my email is Tracy, T R A C E Y, because Joyce and John were pretty good at sticklers about having an E in there. And it's T R A C E Y at Parsons with an S and an extra S C dot com. And our URL is www.parsonssc.com. dot com.
0: Thanks, Tracy. It's been a great conversation. And you're right. Everybody feels better after they spend a little bit of time talking to you.
1: (laughs) Well, there's your dose of vitamin T.
0: There you go. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to do this. And thanks, everybody, for listening in. We'll see you back here same time next week. Bye-bye now.